I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hi everybody and welcome back to another episode of Wild Wild Podcast. I'm happy to introduce my co-host Rod Barnett. Welcome back Rod. Uh, thank you. I'm glad to be back. Now let's be, let's be honest with each other here. Did you completely wipe out your savings over the uh, Black Friday Blu-ray sales weekend? As, um, as time of, at the time of recording it is Sunday yeah. And it is Black Friday weekend. I did, as usual, spend more than uh, I probably should have. <laughs> uh, uh, luckily, I've been able. To, I, I'm able to push off the expense of some of this stuff to, uh, shall we say, uh, first quarter of next year. Mm-hmm. That's a good thing. But yeah, I did spend more than I probably should have. Yeah, that's that's true. Yeah, as always, Severin uh, and. Uh, vinegar syndrome put out some interesting stuff yeah um i have to admit i spent all my money with vinegar syndrome this time um severin's gone very uh video nasty heavy this time around yeah yeah i've never really been that bothered about video nasties the only one that i would have liked to buy if i if it wasn't full price was the um the re the the blu-ray of ruggiero deodato's house on the edge of the park yeah um, because that's a, I've, I mean, I've already, I've seen it. I've got a copy of it, um, and I don't know if I'd ever watch it again. <laughs> so, but it's, but it's got a nice documentary about him, and he is a really cool guy. Um, so I was sort of tempted by that, but I think I'll just wait for it to hopefully be reduced in a future sale. Yeah, um, well, I had, I bought it because it's part of. I bought it as a as a bundle because of that oh, well done. Uh, that signed book mm. about. Uh, Diodato's movies. I was just like, ah, I can't pass that up. So there was some interesting Italian things. I don't know if I really. What did I buy? 
I mostly just bought stuff I really didn't need, but quite wanted <laughs> in the vinegar syndrome sale. So now I need to wait for uh, my bank balance to recover, as usual with these well, things. Yeah, but I, it's all fun. Well, I, I of course I'm 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 a, I'm a weird case in this respect, simply because <laughs> I uh, Troy and I um, we did an Ashy Cast commentary track for for their Black Candles release. So well, yes, that's so, the bit. I should, we should have mentioned that one first. That's oh the, well, yeah, there's that. That's the headline banner title release black candles <laughs> i don't know that i would put it that way i think the yeah. for severin i think uh mm, i would say that uh wow really i guess house on the edge of the park and bloody pit of horror might just be i mean i have to admit i'm very curious which is why i bought the bundle about the uh that new film from uh diodato called oh Lady's, yeah uh ballad and blood yeah. and uh i, I I'll, I'll admit I don't have a whole lot of high hopes for it. <laughs> I mean, you know, let's let's be honest. It's his first film in twenty three years, yeah, and it's difficult to maintain. Uh, I mean, when you're, I I, I don't, I don't want to sound ageist, but I do want to sound like someone who knows what being out of the film industry for two decades can probably do to your ability to like string together a coherent film. And uh, so I don't have a whole lot of high expectations for it, but yeah. uh, I am curious to hear the uh, the score, which is also which is by uh, Claudio Simonetti. So that's true. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and I forgot as well that the yeah, the other interesting title there was Bloody Pit of Horror, which I will also pick up at some point. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Perhaps in a future sale because that'd be a fun one to uh, to cover, maybe even on this uh, on the podcast at some point. It's a fun. It's a fun film. Yeah, so congratulations anyway on another uh, commentary. You guys are much in demand, which is uh, impressive. That's the only real. Um, that's the only track we've got coming up that hasn't already been announced. I mean, we've st- uh. we, we've still got the track for Tombs of the Blind Dead. Whenever Synapse puts their uh, Blu-ray of that <laughs> out, uh, which I'm guessing now will be sometime next year. Yeah, I was going to say we'll all be in our tombs by the time that film gets <laughs> gets released. Uh, I, I, sus- I suspect. It'll come out sometime next year, but I have no idea when because I I, I, I no way to know. So no, yeah, no, that's very cool. Um, speaking of future releases, over the weekend, Vinegar Syndrome announced another none other than Beast in Space. They did. Yeah. Wow, I did not know that. That's coming out next year in a in a four K restoration. <laughs> oh my god, that film does I, not deserve a four. No. Oh, wow. I wonder if they'll take the opportunity to oh. fix the uh, the aspect ratio problems. Yeah, with maybe the, uh, with the inserted horse footage, but that's uh, <laughs> all part of the charm, isn't it? So maybe not. But oh, yeah, it's a sh- Lord. I I was hoping you know if they're going to go down that route, maybe there's some hope that we'll get Escape from Galaxy Three at some point, which. I think would sit very nicely on the Vinegar Syndrome catalogue. Well, I but, think it would um, be a good idea if they were if they were smart if they could get their hands on both of those films to package them together yeah. uh, to, as a kind of you know two disc or you know three discs that however they had to spread things around. But it would be probably a smart idea. Do a whole Beast in Space box set with all the other films from that um, quadrilogy, or was it? Oh my was god, that that would be <laughs> that I would mean, be torture. I can't say anything. I mean. I can't say mm. some of the box sets that have been coming out in the past few years. I am both stunned and appalled that oh, these think that that you know there's an Al Adamson box set with thirty yeah. plus movies and an Andy Milligan box set with all those things. It's like yeah. one of those things where you're just like, how did I had no idea we would live in such 
interesting yeah. times. <laughs> I just bought the Rene Cardona Jr. box set from Vinegar Syndrome as part of their sale. I uh, I ummed and ahed, but I couldn't resist it in the end. I've it, been looking. It hasn't at that even got now. it hasn't even got Tintorera on it, which is a shame because that you did a commentary for that, didn't you, from somebody else? Oh yeah, that was a um, Kino. Kino put it out. Kino, with, yeah, but I mean, it's it's Kino being it's Kino distributing. Um, oh darn it! I think it's Scorpion is the company that right. actually that has actually subleased the film. But yeah, it's yeah. an it's an MGM film, and I uh, did a commentary track with Troy Howarth on that film. Yeah, that's really fun. Yeah, I need to. Uh, that's another one I need to add. So many films, so little time. <laughs> but anyway, we could talk about Blu-rays and what we'd like to buy forever but that's not the purpose of this podcast we are back in the trilogy of life um decamerotici uh genre or basically rip-offs of the decameron and uh films this time we're looking at the canterbury tales and so canterbury tales um the are you familiar with the original film of the canterbury tales i haven't seen it in a very long time but it's it's one of the uh it was one of the first pasolini films i ever saw yeah it's an interesting one it's not quite although i was it's not quite as um explicit as the the, the the Decameron was. In the UK, Decameron is rated, still rated 18, huh. whereas um, Canterbury Tales is only rated um, 15. Although I was quite surprised by that, because you still see rather <laughs> rather a lot uh, in there. But So he made this film in 1972, and it's really fascinating to watch for somebody who lives at you, who is English, because um, he came over to the UK to film this thing, hmm. but he still shot it with uh, primarily, I think, an Italian crew, and he's got some Italian actors and some British actors. There's some really well-known British actors that pop in there, a pop up in there, like Tom Baker um, yeah. and Robin Asquith, um, and then you've got more sort of Italian people as well, like Ninetto Davoli. But just some of the imagery is really extraordinary in that film but what i also liked was a lot of the locations i i recognize some of them to the places i visited <laughs> and oh. there's a lot of stuff there's a lot of stuff filmed inside cathedrals around the country um and different places and at least two of the locations i've seen when i've been on holiday so that was quite fun but yeah the the film is extraordinary and it ends with this incredible sort of sequence of a of a monk going to hell to see what the devil does with other uh, with friars, that's it. He's a friar, and he gets taken by an angel to see what the devil does with friars. And there's just this extraordinary sequence of the devil expelling friars out of his backside, mm-hmm. uh, just spraying the spraying these friars. <laughs> out. It's just yeah, really bizarre. So, but the the most I guess the the bit that was the the most exploitative element of it all was the fact that most of the stories had some sex in them in some way or other. Yeah. And that was the bit that the Italian filmmakers picked up on. And and I guess they knew, there must have been publicity, that they knew he was going to do the Canterbury Tales next. 
after Decameron that he had this trilogy already kind of mapped out because it was very quickly that the Italians, after doing uh, Decameron ripoffs, were very quick on the action to do some Canterbury Tales films. So there were a lot of them about. Um, the one that we have chosen to focus on is... Um, I've got a... Let's see, I've got a translation here. So the, the Italian title, I'll have a go. I racconti di Viterbri le più allegri storie del quattordicesimo secolo. Which, translate the direct translation, as far as I can figure out, is Tales of Viterbri, the most cheerful stories of the 14th century. <laughs> and so what what they've done there, Viterbury is not a real place. Because at first, when I started watching this film, I didn't do any research first. I just watched it. And I thought, they haven't made much of an effort to make this look like Canterbury. Like, there's nothing there's nothing <laughs> English. This film doesn't look very English. And then I realised that Viterbury, they've called the Tales of Viterbury to make it sound like Canterbury. But it's actually another Decameron film. It's still set in Italy. And I think they must have called it Viterbury after the city of Viterbo, which is about 50 miles north of Rome. It's one of those medieval sort of 11th, 12th century walled cities. Mm-hmm. And I've been looking at pictures of it online and it's really uh, fantastic. So that's Viterbo. So I assume that Viterbury is from Viterbo. Um, so they've sneakily called it Tales of Viterbury to make it sound a bit like Canterbury Tales. Right. But it's So I was a little bit sort of confused at first when I started watching it that it wasn't because I just watched Canterbury Tales first and then there's no no attempt to make it look English at all but that <laughs> explains it because it's actually just another Decameron film disguised as a Canterbury film um, but then the English title uh, is the Sexbury Tales yes uh, which is really original um, <laughs> well I mean it's, it's better than the the the, the, the other title that I've seen it listed under, which is The Real Decameron. Oh, yes. I did see that somewhere as well. I'm not sure who put it out as that. But yeah, The Real Decameron is another one. They seem to have many different titles, these films, as they get taken around. And, um, and I by, by another really happy coincidence, um, it turns out that this film was in my PhD. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I was completely not aware of that. I, I mean, that was two years ago now. and I, Three years ago now. So I've kind of put it at the back of my mind, but this film popped up in my PhD. So I'll talk a little bit more about that later. I'll bore you with some of my PhD stuff where this film fitted in. But yeah, so um, Sexbury Tales. Um, now, Rod, you were not a massive fan of Ubalda or Naked and Warm right. last time, despite the fact that Ubalda was played by Edward Fenech. Uh, so this time I asked you to watch the Sexbury Tales, mm-hmm. the Tales of Viterbury. Wh- what did you think about this movie compared to the last one? Uh, I don't know if it's just that I'm getting used to this genre, this uh, or or <laughs> whether it's. I, th- I think it actually has to do with the structure. I really enjoyed this, and I oh, good. Uh, w- about halfway through I realized I was really enjoying it, and realized that something had shifted within me. But I immediately figured out what it was. Uh, and you can probably guess. Ubalda was one long story. This mm-hmm. is an anthology film. And yeah. I gotta say, having each of these ribald little tales be only a few kind of uh, random minutes long, you know, mm. where you, there's no way to tell how this story is gonna, how each story is gonna wind up, uh, what, you know, what the punchline is gonna be and exactly in which direction everything is gonna go. 
really kind of engaged me. Uh, I have to admit, uh, I enjoyed this. And I, I don't get me wrong. I know Ubalda. It was a very op- it's a very episodic film, but it's yeah. telling one long tale. And once I'm, once I'm, <laughs> once I was tired enough of the characters in that film, uh, it was just like I, I need, I need, I need these people to go away. But I mm-hmm. never felt that way with the characters in this movie because they don't stick around that long. I mean, we got seven different stories here. Yeah, and you're right. This and this because they've done it. Um, as a sort of portmanteau that fits much more closely the idea of the Canterbury Tales and yeah. the Cameron, which is lots of short little stories. I mean, whereas um, in the in Pasolini's film, anyway, we um, we don't really have a narrator as such. We cut back occasionally to Chaucer, which is played by Pasolini himself, writing stories down. But then we just see these stories play out. And they don't really, there's nothing to hang them together. Whereas this one is much more in the sort of um, Dr. Terror's House of Horrors mold, where you've got a group of people together and but then, and then they're telling stories. Actually, that's not Dr. Terror, is it? Because that happens to them. There's maybe another one of those anyway. But that kind <laughs> of anthology... Maybe what's it? Uh, torture Garden, perhaps. I don't know. Well, I mean, oh, yeah, in, Do- of, in Doctor Terror's House of Horror, you have these guys on a train, and they're all yeah. I suppose he's telling them the stories, isn't he? Yeah. In that one, so it kind of works. But yeah, so but it's much more. You've got a, a framing device here where you've got a group of women who are doing their washing and having a they're having a hilarious old time doing the washing, and they're telling each other. It's like they're trying to outdo each other with each story. Yeah. So they just start telling each other. Uh, I think the word you used, ribald, is a good one. They start <laughs> telling these ribald stories um, whilst doing the washing, and they're all having a really good laugh. And uh, yeah, it, and it, it kind of works. So what I thought I would do, I've got the very helpful review because this did get a release in the UK, um, which is why it was in my in my thesis. So there's a review of it in the monthly film bulletin. It actually, it, although the film was made in 1973, it didn't make it over here until 1975. So I can tell you this review has a very helpful summary of each story. Oh, cool. So I thought, so we can go through each one and just talk about what we, what we liked. Because, um, I mean, I although I did really enjoy Ubalda, you're right that it went on a bit too long because the story of Ubalda could have been one of these short stories like they dragged it out um interminably and I, yeah yeah and i did enjoy how each these each of these stories had kind of quite a good punchline um yeah so that's the, true yeah 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 although it's, i mean some of them were a little bit predictable but still very funny so story number one a wealthy innocent is tricked into marrying a widow's hideous daughter <laughs> let's talk about that first so yeah <laughs> So there's a wealthy young man. He's he's just in town, I think, and he's looking for a bride. Mm-hmm. And he meets this woman, and she's like, "Oh yes, well, you can marry my daughter." But there's a catch. He's not allowed to see what she looks like until after they've married, because what was it she said? Because she'd she'd prayed to the Virgin Mary, or she she'd made a pledge to the Virgin Mary that. Mm-hmm. No man would see her daughter's face until she was married, or something. 
Now, as a film viewer, you're immediately you're immediately suspicious. But <laughs> exactly. The, but, but the thing is, I mean, the young man agrees to this uh, mainly because he's he's looking at the, he's looking at the mother and going, well, she's still an attractive middle aged lady. So this is not yes. you know, this is not a bad idea here. So yeah, and just how attractive he she is to him becomes part of the story uh, very shortly. So the bride, so they go to the the bedroom after they've got married. And then she pulls back her veil. <laughs> mm-hmm. But the thing is, you'd have thought it was a bit of a clue because she kind of talks like this. She's bit. got she's got a bit of an ET sort of voice. <laughs> uh, so he's talking to her, and she's really short. I mean, it could have been ET. She comes into the room. She's about four foot tall. It got this uh, kind of voice. And um, but then he still still agrees to marry her. It's really funny. So then she whips off the veil, and she, I mean, I was expecting it to be like a little old woman or something based on the, how she sounded. <laughs> but, um, no, it's a younger woman. She's not, I mean, she's not hideous, but she's not particularly attractive. Well, she's got, um, I mean, they've done their best to, to make up this, this obviously attractive young girl in a such a way yeah. as to, as to make her, uh, make her look terrible. I mean, with, with these bizarre, like, raised warts and things on yeah. you know a couple of these odd you know protuberances on her face and uh you know the you know, I, it, it, it gets the job done but at the same yeah. time it's one of those things where it's like i you know we we spend a lot of time looking at her body and it's like um yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm sure i'm sure that there are enough enticements here for this young man he could have to, just he could have just got her to put the veil back on yeah he's like, perhaps we should we should go by what the nuns always say darling or whatever yeah oh dear anyway let's not I'm i think we, i think we this. may have just come off as sexist assholes i know right i'm a bit worried with this podcast how it's going to come across um but anyway what's funny is that he doesn't know what to do once they get to the bedroom and they're there and she doesn't he doesn't know she's apparently she's desperate for it he doesn't know how to <laughs> He doesn't know how to do it. So she goes to complain to her mother that he doesn't know what to do in the bedroom. So she, the mother, has a great plan. She will teach him what to do. And um, so she goes in and gets into bed with him and starts sort of explaining to him the facts of life. Mm-hmm. And uh, she sort of shows him what to do. And then she gets him to, she gets him to get on top of her and then... And then she's like, and then, you know, you know what to do. And he's like, I don't know what to do. And she says, do what the, what does she say? Like, do what the dogs do or something. Do what animals do. Oh, yeah. So he he just starts barking like a dog. (laughs) So she thinks, okay, he's got it. The daughter comes back in and then he's just barking like a dog on top of her again. So (laughs) because the mother didn't teach him enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, So the daughter comes out again cries to her mother the mother knows what to do <laughs> and she gets back and she's into not bed particularly unhappy about having to take no. this, to take this le- uh, level of instruction on so. and um and the, <laughs> and so the story ends with the mother having a great time with the new husband <laughs> while mm. the daughter is crying and stamping her feet and uh being very cross in the room next door and I don't know what the moral of that story is, but that's the end of that story. 
<laughs> I, I, yeah, is there supposed to be a moral? Because I mean, I, I don't think. I mean, I don't know how to extract a moral from no. this other than uh, just being amused by the story and how it plays out. But it's interesting that they they ask him. You, know, they're surprised that he's never done it before. Like, there's an expectation as yeah. a man, like as a woman, that the, the daughter should be pure. She should be a virgin. That's all. That's all kind of accepted but for a man to be a virgin because he'd also made a promise to some saint or other that he was never going to touch a woman before being married and they're really really surprised by that like it was sort of expected that i think she gave a whole list you've never been in bed with a whore uh, yeah uh, you know and she lists like there's all these different words for types of women that he might have gone to bed with and he's never done it and i thought that was sort of i don't know what that says about expectations of men versus expectations of women (laughs) <laughs> it's just well i will say no, this that that segment you just described which is the the mother-in-law talking to him and running through all the various derisive names that you can yeah. sling out for for a woman uh <laughs> yeah. that is one of the first that's one of the first moments in the movie where i realized okay regardless of anything else that happens after this this section is funny very funny yeah um, because the, the looks on the actress's face as she's slinging them out is like well <laughs> maybe he just doesn't know these words let me keep going <laughs> it's just yeah fun. it's very funny i'm sorry it is and it also kind of gives it's quite a giveaway that we're in the 1970s here as well i think mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh yeah so that's just for story number one we better try and fly through these or this is going to be the longest oh, God, you're right, ever. Yeah. so the uh all the women they're laughing their heads off at that story but then someone else has a better story this story is about Tonya and Maniko, right? who are lovers kept apart by a family feud. And so Maniko keeps trying to get into the castle to get to Tonya, but the father won't doesn't want him anywhere near the castle and near his daughter, and he keeps threatening to kill this guy. Um, and he's, and the, the story begins with Maniko disguised as a scarecrow so that he can try and kiss Tonya out in the field, but then the father comes along and is just constantly getting in the way. <laughs> and eventually, um, Maniko does manage to make it into the bedroom, I think. But yeah. then isn't there, I forget, um, this story isn't quite as funny, but he does end up falling out of a window and landing in a load of manure. Is he, yeah. is he, is he in a, I can't remember now, uh, but he eventually, he's not, he loses interest in Tonya after the constantly, falling out of windows and getting beaten up and falling in manure and all and then he just even walks off in a huff well yes <laughs> i mean this is the story with uh, this is the story with the with uh at least initially the most kind of slapstick stuff because this, yeah. this young this young man trying to to sneak around to have sex with his beloved uh it, it, you know we, we we deal we deal with a, a barrel filled with feces you know with manure Oh yeah, that yeah. he's trying to that he's trying to use to sneak in. And oh, then, that was it. Uh, yes, he's it got these guys. Wine, you know, it was supposed to be a wine barrel, and then the guy's like, yes. well, I'll just fill it with manure." And that then, was uh, it because he he suspects that the guy is in there, doesn't he? Right. Well, I don't I don't know at the beginning, but then by the time that he's by the time he's chasing the guy away from his house with a scythe, <laughs> I think we're <laughs> I think we're, we're we're pretty much on to things. Oh, and yes. I, I thought it was amusing that he essentially turns his daughter Tanya's. Uh, room into a jail a jail cell yeah <laughs> oh yeah there's bars on the window mm. and she uh oh that's it she puts a rope down she ties the sheets together and he tries to climb up and falls down and and then she ties them to the bars on the window and let the bars fall out and land on top of him yeah there's a lot of 
Laurel and Hardy type slapstick going on. Yeah, in this it's 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 probably my least favorite of the seg- segments. Yeah. But once again, it has the uh, the the positive aspect of being brief. So yeah, yeah. No, I'd, this is the one I'd forgotten the most about. But yeah, you're right. He he tries to smuggle himself in in a barrel that's going to get filled with wine in the cellar. So he's waiting for the barrel to get taken down to the cellar so that uh, he can get out. But instead, it gets filled with manure. Yeah, very good. Okay, the next story. This is perhaps one of the highlights, I think, of the film. Story number three. Yeah. Having married the elderly Theodore for his money, Mona arranges for her lover, Michelle, to disrupt their wedding night by masquerading as a ghost. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so, um, Mona, this is, of course, none other than Rosalba Neri. Yes, indeed. And so this is quite a fun story where there's just a lot of running around a castle uh, with a guy with a sheet on his head pretending to be a ghost. And that, that's a good way to put it, yeah. <laughs> there's a little bit more to it, but... Uh, well, actually, well, yeah, yes. I will say there, there is a, there's a, bit a little complicated. bit more to it. Uh, very, very much so, especially once the wizard slash exorcist shows up. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, because she's, she's hoping to scare the husband away so then she can have it away with her short skinny mustachioed italian lover mm-hmm. under the sheet uh this is a sort of typical 1970s italian sex comedy where the man is a tiny little man and the woman is a sort of statuesque goddess <laughs> yes. in comparison um but then theodore runs off to get a priest or an exorcist or like a wizard um so she's trying to get it away with the ghost but then the priest comes back and the, the ghost, there's a lot of running around where he's trying to scare away the priest. He's trying to scare away the husband. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the meantime, there's a turkey that keeps popping up and he's <laughs> yes. constantly getting, and they seem to think the turkey is the, is, is, I don't know. In the end, it seems like the turkey is the one who ends up in the bed with her and not the men. There's a lot, it's very farcical, this one. It's a like typical sort of British bedroom fast with people running around losing their trousers and in and out of cupboards yeah um, i mean there's there's a lot of the st- what i would refer to as kind of the standard 76 comedy humor in this with yeah. you know the, the the new wife who's clearly married this guy for his money actually extracting money from him in bed before they get started i mean like actually <laughs> demanding cash oh yeah um, <laughs> the, the the story has a lot of accidentally self-inflicted violence uh you know um uh, and, and then once the ghost shows up uh and before it before it beca- it's revealed that it's fake it's it's uh it's kind of amusing because at, at first i honestly thought oh well, wait a minute is this someone attempting to find a way to like extract money from this guy no yeah. no no it's it's all about sex i forgot yes. uh, <laughs> i i was amused by the exorcist in his uh, his pronouncements, like, women women are all devils, and and yeah. uh, his his of course, as you might expect for a story of this type, his his uh, methodology for uh, for uh, exercising the ghost does involve him attempting to have sex with yeah. with the wife. And uh, yeah, I think he trained at the same monastery as the um, the monk in our last film who. <laughs> yeah. In order to teach women what sin looked like, he would mm. just have sex with them. Well, just as an aside, real quick, uh, are you? Uh, I, you know who Miss Neary was, and I'm sure you've seen her in a number of films. And I, I'm always, I'm always done. She's she's still alive and kicking, but she retired 
uh, just a, just a couple of years after this movie, after she made this movie. Yeah. I mean, she made, I mean, she made like nearly a hundred movies, and yeah. uh, she she retired and went you know went into private life doing something completely different. And and yet she made so many movies. I've seen her in so many films. She just seems mm. eternally. Um, I don't know. She just seems an eternal part of my viewing joy. I mean, she was Lady Frankenstein for goodness sake. Yeah, and you know, it's just the, yeah. The, and she she did a lot of um, a lot of jallos and stuff that we'll have seen. Yeah, she did some Jess Franco films. Yeah, and, the Fu Manchu that she did the Jess Franco Fu Manchu. Yeah, the the worst of the Fu Manchus. But she was also in Ninety Nine Women for him, which is not terrible. And and. Yeah. Uh, and there's one film that I'd really like to see that I haven't yet is uh, Top Sensation yeah, with I, uh, um, Edwidge Fenech, mm-hmm. um, which I've heard lots of things about and never seen. But yeah, she was um, she was very committed to Italian cinema for a number of years. Um, and then she's even in that Pam Greer film, uh, The Arena, yep. which I another one that I need to add to my list. But yeah, and I noticed she's, in, you know, she's done quite a few Jallo some of which are in those box sets from uh, Vinegar Syndrome. So, yeah, but it's, then, it's very it's very easy to run across her. I highly recommend Amok uh, from yes. uh, 1972 uh, as a as a pretty good starting place. And uh, also, she is the uh, she is the thing that snaps the film The Devil's Wedding Night into sharp focus. Uh-huh. Uh, she's she's kind of amazing in that so yeah 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 she she did another decameron film as well before this one so um this is like old old ground for her to, oh, to yeah. she did, being was, in this movie which decameron which other decameron film did she do oh my goodness she did one called decamerone uh quattro secolo which also known as the new decameron i think hmm, okay in 1972 so uh, yeah, very busy. But yeah, it's interesting that she just sort of disappeared. Uh, they they say she essentially just retired, and uh, yeah. you know well, that, that's it's kind of amazing. I mean, her and she started appearing in films in 1958, and mm. then by by you know by the late 70s, she was just eh, I've had enough, and I'm out of here. So yeah, I mean, you know, once you if you've been in Lady Frankenstein, it doesn't get much better than that. Not in my opinion. Uh, so great. Uh, in fact, we and of course we did. I'll have to tweet this out. We did a uh, episode of your podcast a couple of years ago on Lady Frankenstein. Yes, so wonderful, we've, we've wonderful movie. About that film at length. Uh, the next story. This is also quite a good one. Yeah. Um, and this one, the, um, I mean, again, I don't want to sound overly uh, sexist, but the well, the there's young, no way I, around some of the discussions the, of this. Of this film, honestly, yeah. that aren't, aren't going to lead us down the garden path of sounding like <laughs> sexist scumbags. I mean, yeah. The um, the young actress in this story, now I, I've totally lost the names of who is who, so I'm not entirely sure. I think this one is about a girl called Fiora, played by Krista Linda, who was German, if I've got that right. Oh, I right. think so, yes. And so she plays, she, um, I guess we can tell that she's not Italian because she's pretty <coughs> much the only blonde woman in the film. Um, her name is uh, Fiora. She is she. There, she's bathing nude in the river, mm-hmm. and then she suddenly starts clutching at herself and claiming that a shrimp, <laughs> has a prawn, yes, a prawn. That's right. Has swum up inside her while she was bathing. Oh, and the reason this story is being told is because the the women washing the clothes. One of the women is just sort of squatting down in the water, 
uh, having a pee. She's uh, having a pee in the water that they're washing their clothes in, yes. which I thought was interesting. Um, and then they tell her, oh, you want to be careful because you don't forget what happened to Flora. And then so we see the story. So, yeah, so she gets this prawn... Um, swims up inside her so she's groaning in agony and her mother calls the doctor the doctor comes to do uh, uh, an inspection and um, he has he a tries, prescription yes yeah he he has a um, he basically like pokes a stick up inside her to try and see if he can get it out but he says it's too far up there he won't come out but he's got this this uh, formula or something and so he has an idea that the way to get this thing out is to get a man to come and have sex with her, but to paint this stuff on himself first, which will attract... Yes, this, this is how we're going to administer this medicine. <laughs> yeah, and this will attract the prawn to um, bite onto this, whatever this is. and <laughs> Onto the poor lad, yes. And then it will, it will come out, uh, which sounds completely um, reasonable. Ridiculous. <laughs> All right, that sounds fine. That's very believable. And um, <laughs> so that's what happens. So the servant boy, he is told to come and basically do this, but he's not told why. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's not. He's like, well, yeah, okay. <laughs> and really? So, you're, you're telling me I have to do this? Oh my god. Um, Oh, I think the the reason that the mother agrees to this particular treatment is because she has been assured by the doctor that the the daughter is no longer a virgin because um oh her, yes the hymen has because been of the, severed because, because of the, of the, the treatment evil shrimp, yes and so that's fine then that means that she hasn't got to worry about her virginity anymore but it won't affect her marriage chances I think that's basically the the, mm. the logic the logic of it all. Like, so the, yeah, lo- big 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 quotes around the word logic there. Yes. Yeah. So the servant boy comes and uh, has a great time mm-hmm. until <laughs> until he suddenly screams and jumps out of bed and runs away screaming, and um, <clears throat> and then the mother comes running in and the doctor comes in and they're like, "Yay, she's cured, she's cured," but then. <laughs> <laughs> she um, has she has a bit of information to impart. Oh my goodness! But then there's a further twist, um, which is that um, she the <laughs> so she tells her mother that she thinks the piranhas laid eggs, and now there's millions up there. So Piero yeah. is out recruiting local men <laughs> and telling them there's this woman and she will just have sex with you and it's great. She's really good. And but the only the strange thing is that she wants you to run out screaming at the end. <laughs> so <laughs> it all it's all a ruse. But no, but I wasn't entirely sure at which point it becomes a ruse. Like, did she make up the whole thing from the beginning just so that she had an excuse to have sex with loads of people, or possibly more likely, was the first one real? I think and she was an incredibly she's... smart woman who knew a way around the rules. I think that she, yeah. I think she dreamed this up from from the jump. Yeah, <laughs> I, mean, I don't know how she, but yeah, but would she have known that the cure the doctor would come up with would be that particular cure? But maybe she just, yeah, maybe she saw her opportunity here to yeah. have sex with the whole town. 
<laughs> for for medical reasons. <laughs> yes, exactly. This is the only this is the only way my I can I can live is to have sex yeah. with every man in the in the town who's willing to have sex um, with me. As long as they're willing to run out screaming to pretend yeah, that yeah. Uh, they've got a prawn. <laughs> so yeah, there you go. That's quite an unusual tale, um, but also quite funny. Yeah, and true. I mean, I think there's no denying that Krista Linda is uh, an attractive actress very true i i was i was I looking through the films that she did she didn't do all that many sad to say um mm. but uh well i mean she she didn't do as well I, I should say she didn't do as many as uh as miss neary but no i have seen several of her movies including more than more than one uh movie uh, that she made in uh, Mexico, the so a couple of the uh, Mexican wrestling movies. She was in a couple of those, which I thought oh, was wow. okay. amusing. She was also in Night of a Thousand Cats. She had a small role in uh, the Burt Reynolds film Hooper in '78, oh, okay. which I thought had to be the strangest bit of information there. Yeah, yeah. I saw her in Day of Anger, which is a great mm-hmm. movie. Great spectacle. Yeah, she's uh, also in a couple of the com- uh, the Commissar X films. Those uh, those uh-huh. German uh, spy movies, and, so. and she's also in that other Decameron film that Rosalba Nera was in. So, oh yeah, they're all they're all hanging around. But yeah, um, and um, yeah, she also turns up in uh, Young Dracula, Lucio mm-hmm. Fulci's kind of sexy comedy, or Dracula. Dracula in the provinces. Yeah, same. Yeah. And then she's in a British film. Uh, is it a British film? Oh no, it's a Mac Alberg's. It's a Swedish film. It's a film called For Men Only. There is a British film called For Men Only, which I was getting it mixed up with, but this is a Swedish one. So anyway, yeah, quite interesting. Uh, various things that she popped up in, but yeah, she's very amusing in this sequence and also uh, extremely attractive. Anyway, story number five. This one is about a farmer with his young wife. And his young wife is terrified of sex because she has been raised to believe that men have a monster in their trousers. Mm-hmm. And she's having nightmares about this monster coming to get her. A purple so she, monster. Yeah, and she makes the farmer sleep in a different room because she's so afraid of what he's got down there. <laughs> I, I, I think it's hilarious that the husband is not only being denied sex with his wife, but he's being forced to sleep with the chickens. So he's in the hen house, which is so many different little layers oh, of joke. Very there. good. I hadn't even thought of that. You're yeah, right. He is yeah. in the hen house. And so he comes up with a plan, which is he tells her that he's got two, actually. Mm-hmm. He's got the regular monster, but then he's also got a, a smaller monster that's uh, fine. And. That she should not be afraid of the smaller ones. Yeah. <laughs> so she agrees. She gives in. She's a little bit scared at first, but very quickly uh, comes to enjoy it to the point where she becomes insatiable. Yes. And, <laughs> and it doesn't take long before he is exhausted because she is just dragging him anywhere behind a tree in the barn all day, all night. Um, and he's like just he's trying to hide from her it's really <laughs> funny he's hiding from his wife um because he's it's too much for him um but then she says she tells him that um she's no longer afraid and she'd like to try the uh the big monster 
<laughs> yes, and and that's when the look on his face goes even more sour because now yeah. he's like, "Oh, great, what do I do now?" <laughs> he got himself into trouble. Uh, so that well, that story is quite short, um, but pretty funny. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could uh, so many of these stories, and obviously they're all being written and directed by men. There's a lot of uh, <laughs> male fantasy fulfillment in, you know. Oh yeah, of course. It's which it's sort of funny, but also it's very much again of its time, I suppose. Yeah, say. I mean these this film, as are most of these films, as are you know pretty much any Italian sex comedy. I'm sure there are a few that don't quite fit this bill for whatever reason, but yeah, yeah. I mean these are these are voyeuristic pieces from the from the viewpoint of you know the male gaze. There's no way around that, and therefore to a large extent are inherently sexist and if yeah. you know that going in you should be just fine yeah so the next story is about a prisoner who has um robbed a bishop of his clothes so he's an escaped prisoner <laughs> yes yes and the bishop is hiding under a bush because uh, his clothes have been stolen uh meanwhile so this prisoner he goes he ends up being asked to come to help uh, a woman who is dying she claims mm-hmm. but basically what she's really she's not really dying she's just frustrated because her husband lost he's now a eunuch because he lost his tackle in in the war yeah <laughs> in the crusades or something um and so the the wife needs uh the last rites reading to her because she's dying so the bishop is asked to come and read the last rites to her i'm sorry but that long pause you had there i thought you were about to leap ahead in the story <laughs> <laughs> oh no well you go ahead so oh well no 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 is essentially i i i enjoy this because we have the the, the 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 criminal the escaped criminal that the soldiers are hunting for who's stolen the bishop's vestments and uh he he comes to this house where this this lady is uh is uh, pining for a confession because she her husband cannot cannot service her shall we say yeah and he takes a whiz which turns out to be outside her bedroom window and she sees his naked member and realizes oh wait a minute uh yeah <laughs> maybe maybe something can happen here so she entices the fake bishop uh in in into uh, her bedroom uh, he uh, comes up with a reason the husband can't be there and uh bingo bango exactly what you would expect would happen yeah the the bed collapses at one point mm-hmm. i love that the fact that the servants are watching yeah oh that's true they're just watching through the keyhole mm-hmm. this uh unorthodox priest and then the husband of course realizes what's happening and charges in uh there's a there's a, a rather amusing fight between the two men and the, the thing is the fake the fake bishop He's a he's a he's a burly man, and he's he's you know I, I'm thinking to myself, this is a brave dude direction there to take this guy on, yeah. uh, and he uh, he ends up diving out the window, uh, <laughs> and I, I have to say that this is a really satisfying little vignette here. He dives yeah. out the window and uh, is captured by the soldiers because he di- because he dives directly into the uh, he dives into a net, doesn't he? Well, yeah, a fish a fishing net that's been strung there for you know for repair. And so he's captured, and the soldiers ride up, and boom, end of story. Which is uh-huh. pretty pretty satisfying little tale. That's not how that's not how I remember that ending. I thought uh, he was caught in a net by Baccio himself, by the guy and his wife, because the whole thing was a ruse. Because in the next shot, 
he is trapped in a mill. He's tied to a mill. Oh, that's right. The soldiers with don't a load. Get him. No, it's it's actually like, it's all been a ruse to make him work in the mill because there's a there's about they three chain other him priests. To the, to the mill, yeah. To the, yeah. There's like three other priests down there all pushing this mill around, who've been there for years. <laughs> Because they've, this seems to be something that it's like the most elaborate way of kidnapping people that they've ever come up with. But still um, very amusing. Yeah, that was pretty funny. Now, the last story is, um, this one feels very much like it could have been in the actual Canterbury Tales movie. So we've got this man whose name is, I think is Checho. Mm-hmm. Um, and he is famous for his sexual prowess. All the women want to uh, be with him. Um and there's a man nearby in the village who hears of this man and he recognises the description straight away that this must be the man who got his sister pregnant. And so he runs to go and catch this man and sort of threatens to kill him, basically, unless he agrees to marry his sister. Um, now, in this one, I wanted to mention a random bit of information that the actor that plays the the stud in this story he's Roberto Delacqua we've come up with the, we've come up against the Delacquas before they're the uh, Italian stunt family yeah whose, yeah whose names you see pop up in credits all the time in fact Roberto Delacqua himself was one of the zombies in Zombie Flesh Eaters or Zombie 2 um, which is the sort of the name that the film that perhaps the Delacquas are most associated with but they did a whole bunch of films that family Oh, well, I thought yeah. that was interesting and that he's. This is one of them. Yeah, he the, he his he he gets. Uh, he's not credited because he's just a member of the stunt team in a lot of these movies, and yeah. you know. But but he you know he was. Uh, good lord! I mean, he was in Nightmare City and and the Beyond, uh, mm-hmm. as as you know, an uncredited member of the you know the the, the, the bunch of zombies that are made up to to be part yeah. of that movie. But he was in so many stinking films. Um, uh, he was in Star Odyssey for those following along, following along, <laughs> along at home. He played a character named Norman, uh, but strangely enough, he was also the chimney sweep in uh, Robert Altman's Popeye film. Oh, I was because that was wasn't that shot at Chinachita? Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. it was. Or, so, uh, it was, it was shot, yeah, part of it was part of it was shot there. Yeah. But okay. he was, you know, he had uh, like credited roles in uh, some pretty amazing stuff, like uh, B- the Big Racket, and mm. uh, and. Uh, uh, several well several westerns but if you look at his 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 discredited stuff uh it's pretty impressive but his uncredited stuff where he's there as part of a you know he's like a bit player or as uh, someone who's there to do uh stunts or or play you know kind of a, as a utility player for you know in different different positions as the film is made he yeah he had a he had an impressive career and yeah you're right mm. as part of that family that's not that's not a real shock no so it's nice to see him getting a bit of a starring role in this sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, and he seems to be genuinely remorseful and he agrees to marry this guy's sister and to go with him uh, to to marry his sister. But um, I know, I've forgotten exactly how this... Oh, there's a fight. That's right, because I think the uh, the military are also after this guy. Uh, yeah, it's a fight that kind of turns into what I would refer to as a barn orgy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and they end up just chucking all these guys out the window, which is quite fun. Because mm-hmm. um, I think yeah, so and so the big guy and Yolo, who's the one whose sister is pregnant, he agrees to fight for Chicho to help him. Check Chico, Chicho, whatever. Ch- uh, I thought um, it was Ch- Is it Chicho? Chicho, something Chicho like that. Or something like that. Yeah. Um, Chicho, 
let's not go there. You've, um, gone, you've gone insane, sir. Um, so he agrees to help him fight all these soldiers if you're Mary's sister. So they may disguise themselves, or Chicho puts on the costume of uh, one of the military. Or is he already in the military? No, I think he puts on the captain's uniform mm-hmm. or something. So he's going with Agnolo, and then they see the um, another group of the military coming towards them. So he, Chicho goes, okay, quick, I'll pretend, you know, go along with me. And he pretends to uh, that he's the captain to this group of soldiers so that they're not suspicious. But then he tells the soldiers that he's he's arrested a prisoner, an escaped prisoner or something, and they need to take <laughs> this guy away and send him to prison. And he's like, no, I'll get you. And um, so our young stud is free again to ride the countryside and get more or, well, wait, girls but, pregnant. Yeah, I was about to say, I would uh, I would put it the that the young stud is once again free to spread his seed far and wide. Yeah. And then, so that's the, that's the final story. And we come back to the women who are still washing their clothes, having a good laugh. And then one of them talks about her own husband, who is a captain in the army. And how he's too busy to, he's too busy being an army person to give her what she needs. And they're all having a good laugh about that. And then we see him come along. He comes past and she wants to talk to him. And he's like, no, no, I'm busy. I'm in, I'm in the army. But then basically the, the, the whole sort of battalion, whatever they are, end up being dragged in by these women. And they're all just a big writhing mass on the floor. <laughs> and that's the end. Is that yes. about right? I think that's about it's, right. It's, fair, it's fairly accurate, yeah. <laughs> so this um, this monthly film bulletin review says the usual ragbag of Decameronian bawdy, if anything rather <laughs> shoddier and more witless than its dreary predecessors. It's a bit harsh. Yeah. Even even potentially piquant stories like the one about the shrimp and the sex pot are reduced to ashes. <laughs> oh my god! So they didn't like it very much, and I think it's quite witless. But I, I'm glad that you thought it was funny. I actually, like I say, I, the the secret is in keeping these these silly little stories short, mm. and therefore I'm I was I was engaged throughout and kind of surprised at how much I was enjoying myself. Oh, good. Yeah, no, it was a fun one. Um, we didn't mention, of course, that this is directed by Mario Cayano. Yes. Who is perhaps best known to... Uh, people of us, our stripe. <laughs> people like us as being the director of Nightmare Castle, which is a mm-hmm. classic, of course. Um, I'm a big fan of a number of his films, including mm. uh, from that same year, 1965, uh, Eric the Viking. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a fan of uh, the Italian Viking movies because mm. uh, there's just something bizarre about them i think it's because i saw some of them at a younger age and therefore some somehow uh, an italian viking movie strikes me as more authentic than yeah. <laughs> any other viking movie i don't it, sure. it shouldn't but it somehow does yes but yeah he's a very experienced director and i think that comes across that this is a pretty well made little film yeah yeah this is a guy who seemed to be able to play across uh pretty much any genre i mean the guy made you know spaghetti westerns like shanghai joe and and violent mm-hmm. milan so you're talking about the the Polichetsky stuff as well i mean he yeah. also made nazi love camp 27 so mm. <laughs> there's there's very there are very few areas of the uh <laughs> the exploitation world that he did not uh dip a toe so yeah, yeah. but that's just that was what it was like when you were if you were a working director and you were not a Pasolini or a Fellini 
you were just directing whatever jobs were available. Well, I would think um, that he would have a little bit more um, authorship over these because he's also listed as a credited writer on the credited writer on this film and on like about thirty, you know, thirty movies, uh, yeah. mostly the ones that he he had uh, that, that he directed. Uh, but I mean, he he's credited for having the idea for the film, the in the in uh, in the folds of the flesh, and he wrote oh, the yeah. screenplay for Eye and the Labyrinth. So oh. you know. Who know, who the heck knows? Apparently, did the yeah. Italian the Italian dialogue for the Son of Captain Blood in 1962. So he seems to uh, have uh, cracked open the door to making films by yeah. being a writer first, and then work his way into being a director. Yeah, that's interesting. So around this time, so there were a lot of, and we talked a bit about this last time. There were a lot of. Uh, this was the sort of the beginnings of the birth of the sexy Italian comedy films, which dominated Italian cinema throughout the 70s. The films that tended not to travel that much overseas, and there are just loads of them. And I've been trying to find anything, the sort of academic analysis of those films, anything written about them. I mean, I haven't found anything yet about these particular, the Dick Cameron films. But what I have been reading about Italian sex comedies, almost every reading I've looked at talks about the fact that incest plays a big part. Oh my goodness! In so really? many, so many of the Italian sex comedies feature incest in some way and uh, that's a recurring theme in the Italian sex films of the 70s which is interesting Um, and I suppose the closest we get with this one I was thinking about it is the first story with the son the mother and son-in-law I suppose (laughs) but that's not even real I mean I would not yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't well, no. term that necessarily incest, but yeah, that but that is as close as this film. It's as gets. close as we yeah. get. Um, but I thought that was interesting. That seems to be a recurring theme. Maybe we'll uh, we'll we'll discover a bit more of that as as we go on to further Italian comedies in the future. But I wanted to <laughs> uh, I wanted to mention then. So this film was distributed in the UK in nineteen seventy five. So when I looked it up, I discovered to my delight that it was distributed by Border Films. And Border Films had played a big part. I've got a most of a chapter of my thesis was about Border Films. Hmm. So I could bore you to death for hours about Border <laughs> Films. Um, but I'll well, give you... Try, try, try to do it in five minutes. Go. Yeah, I'll give you the very quick version. So um, there was a distributor uh, called EJ Fancy. And he had something of a, a, like a family... It was a big family business, basically. And he had several companies and his children worked for him and everybody worked for him. Um, And so Border Films were connected. They were one of the companies that were connected to EJ Fancy. But where it gets a little bit weird is that EJ Fancy, so he had a wife and two children and his two children worked for him. They ran the companies. uh, One of the companies they ran was called New Realm. But sometime in the 1940s or maybe 50s, he also took upon him self uh, a second wife like a, a common law wife huh. whose name was olive negus and she started calling herself olive negus fancy and he had two more children with olive and they also worked for him and this is all at the same time because these two other children are around the same age as the children he has with his actual wife oh my god <laughs> i know and so ej fancy's got uh, a few different offices in in soho the main one is uh, not too far away from where Border were based. They were in a separate office just a bit further down the road on Wardour Street. So he's got his wife 
and his children working for him in one office and then he's got his other wife and his other two children working for him at border films just down the road this is a sex comedy in reality so yeah that's all a bit bizarre and it seemed to be fine although because i interviewed people that worked for the fancies because I, I i tried to talk to some of the surviving family but nobody would talk to me the closest i got was an, a one phone call conversation with his son that he had with olive negus um who worked for border but in the end he wouldn't do an interview with me so mm. i ended up interviewing other people that worked for the fancy family and it's just it's a fascinating and strange story but anyway so border specialized in as did ej in a lot of his other companies but border particularly specialized in importing european um sex films basically for the uk market so in 1975 i looked this up because i've got it all on a spreadsheet in 1975 they distributed this film they also distributed the more sexy canterbury tales so they had two canterbury tales films in the same year uh more sexy canterbury tales was actually um potentially directed by joe d'amato but i looked it up and there are two different directors depending on which website you look at but that film the Italian t- title translates as flirtatious stories of pleasure-seeking wives and penitent husbands, which is good. So okay. that was <laughs> so they distributed that one. They also did a film called My Darling Slave. They did a film called Sexually Yours, uh, Sex Crazy, and <laughs> Knickers Ahoy, <laughs> and uh, oh Naughty God. Girls. I know. And Naughty Girls. So that was just in 1975. <laughs> um, so that's the kind of stuff that Border were doing. And then, um, so also in this year, what I did on my thesis, I put, I did a search for every film distributed in the UK, and I kind of did all these different keywords. So I had words such as, what did I include? Sex, sexy, erotic. I was trying to work out like how many sex films were distributed basically in each year love virgin naked i did searches on all these different words and came up with a to give me a sort of rough idea and in 1975 i got 44 films uh in that year that were all all had the words sex or sexy or erotic or something like that in the title yeah it's certainly a profitable business to be in at that period of time there was a lot of this going on so you had independent distributors like border just making all their money by getting these kinds of films which would have probably been pretty cheap at the time and then putting them into you know into sex cinemas i mean we didn't have unlike um unlike america we didn't have hardcore here Mm. at the time there were some private cinemas that were screening hardcore but it was basically illegal um it certainly wasn't like the kind of stories you hear of the grindhouses in america um, so these films were about as sexy as it got and as explicit as it got in British cinemas at that time. So these were films that were receiving certificates from the BBFC. So this film did get an X certificate uh, uh, from the BBFC. So there you go. So um, I, anyway, I thought that was quite uh, a nice coincidence that this this is one, because a few of the films that we've looked at in this podcast so far never got released over here, but finally we get to one that did uh it also had a vhs release in the uk in the 80s so it's got a you know it's obviously a 
bit of interest in the movie at various points, but that was the last time that anybody over here would have seen it uh, on its on its uh, 80s VHS. Well, does that mean that there was an English dub for the film? Because we saw it, I, I, yes. I saw it subtitled, so... Yes, there was. Yeah, the, ver- the only version that I can find now is the subtitled version. Hmm. But um, they, re- they distributed it in a dubbed version. Interesting. Border may have paid for that dub themselves. There were various dubbing houses around Soho that just spent all day, every day, dubbing films like this. Um, it's possible that they might have done a dub in Italy because they also, as we know from other films we've talked about, um, they had people who lived in Italy who just spent all their time dubbing English. Yeah, I mean, you've we've talked you've, you've talked about people like that before in your podcast of some of these American actors who went to Italy and then ended up just working in dubbing for years. So it, it could have happened at either end. I'm not entirely sure, but yeah, there was a dub at some point. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. So there you go. So finally, <laughs> finally, my PhD was worth something. I have. <laughs> well, I just I'm always curious to see um, the reason I, the, the, it's a shock that this one was. Uh, I mean, it shouldn't surprise me. And there was a there was an American release as well. But the uh, oh, good. I couldn't find that. That's interesting. well, I mean, that's I just it. There's an American title. And uh, this is not the kind of film that anybody was going to release over here theatrically anyway with uh with uh subtitles this is not you know you, you're not looking for that kind of audience with, with this kind of film and mm-hmm. so uh that's interesting that there's I, I don't i i would love to know how some of the jokes may have been altered from the italian to the english dub you know there's a, there can be shifts in uh you know the emphasis of the humor or exactly what the joke might be and i'd be curious to kind of figure that out huh. yeah so yeah, so I I mean basically the reason I chose this particular film was just because some of the other Canterbury Tales films I wanted to do didn't have any English tracks or subtitles available, and so there but there were some from what I've looked there were some Canterbury Tales films that did try and pretend to be British and look a bit more kind of British medieval, mm. um, whereas this one is still just very Italian, yeah, basically. Yeah. Uh, and just linking to Canterbury through its title. But there were many other ones that we could have talked about. Um, but yeah, it's a re- I think it's just a really interesting example of this kind of the way that the uh, Italians worked. And, you know, if something is popular, let's just flog it to death until <laughs> and then move and then move on to the next one. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, just keep going like that. Um, now, what's exciting uh, about next our next uh, episode is we'll be looking at the Arabian Nights films yeah. for that one, uh, which I'm I'm really looking forward to. Um, the film that we're going to do is an Antonio Margheriti film, and it's worth mentioning that he also did do a Canterbury Tales film, Antonio Margheriti, called oh, yes. Novella, Novella Galette d'Amore. Um, which I think is now lost. I did some research before trying to find it, hmm. and uh, it's wow. just it's it's one of it, one of his missing films, as far as I can tell. It may be in Italy somewhere, but it's gone. <laughs> That's incredible, <laughs> um, really. Yeah, can't find it anywhere. But at least his uh, Arabian Nights film is available. So that's the one we're going to do next time. All right. All right. Yeah, so we'll talk more about that next time. But uh, yeah, so there you go. So that's been uh, Canterbury Tales. 
and uh, definitely this one's definitely worth a watch it's quite easy to find a copy online if you know where to look I don't think it's commercially available but um, we did find a copy with English subtitles if any of you are curious uh, then just look in the usual places and you should find a copy um, yeah thank you again Rod for doing this oh, um, glad to be here glad uh, to be here uh, thank you everybody for listening you can get in touch with us in all the usual ways please do talk to us on Twitter that's mostly where we get our, uh, all our contacts the links are in the show notes and yeah we will talk to you again maybe we'll see how it goes maybe before Christmas or maybe in the new year um, <laughs> but we'll try and see if we can fit one of these in in December so that we can start the new year with a new season but uh, we'll see I'm not making any promises right <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for listening, and goodbye. Goodbye, everyone. Donna Teresa ti vuoi rassegnare, tanto le corna devi portare, donna comare che fidi la lana, metti a riposo la tua sottola. Otto rotondo che ridi giulivo, freghete quanto l'annacqui sto vino, vecchio crociato che hai perso lontano, tutti i denari è una cosa che fa. L'amore, l'amore, pizzica, tutti i capricci che il cuore. del padre priore dentro al convento struisce le sore ora uno strillo non sembra un pollaio quando la notte le fa confessare l'amore l'amore pizzica tutti i capricci che il cuore ah l'amore l'amore allora rifallo ma non lo contava allora rifallo ma non lo the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a Budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.